ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could, would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Cause we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. It's the largest commercial deal for rocket launches in history. Amazon announcing it has secured up to 83 launches over five years to carry the majority of its 3,236 satellite mega constellation to low Earth orbit. Project Kuiper will beam broadband connectivity to people and businesses across the globe. An ambitious $10 billion plus bet by Amazon that Senior Vice President of Devices and Services Dave Limp says will leverage the tech giant's experience across industries to offer a competitive and affordable internet service. As we scale this up, not only the number of rockets our partners today, ULA, Blue, and Ariane have to make every, every year, not, not only the number of satellites we have to make per day, two to three or four a day, but also the number of customer terminals measured in tens of millions. The manufacturing, which is one of those core muscles that I think Amazon has, will be able to be really helpful for getting customers what they want. But to do that, the satellites need to be deployed. On this episode, I speak with the CEO of one of those launch providers, Tori Bruno of United Launch Alliance, to discuss this record rocket deal, as well as Russian rocket engines, and how growing defense budgets could benefit space. I'm Morgan Brennan, and this is Manifest Space. Amazon's launch procurement is worth billions of dollars, speaking to the tech giant's commitment to build out a space-based internet service. Amazon is contracting with three companies for three powerful rockets that are all still under development. Ariane Space for its Ariane 6 rocket, Amazon's sister company Blue Origin for New Glenn, and United Launch Alliance for the Vulcan Centaur, which will not only be powered by Blue Origin BE-4 engines, but with up to 38 missions secured, is poised to do the lion's share of Project Kuiper launches. ULA's Tori Bruno joined me from the annual Space Symposium in Colorado Springs, a major industry event taking place this year amid the backdrop of war in Ukraine, where companies historically have made big announcements, including, just this week, Amazon. You know, this is, we're the majority provider for that constellation, and it's going to bring service to millions of people, so we're pretty excited to be a part of it. Uh, the Vulcan launch vehicle is going to fly later this year. And then after a few flights, I can't say how many, because Amazon isn't releasing exactly when they start, we'll begin flying their missions on Vulcan. Uh, so I was going to ask you that. Uh, Vulcan is still on track for its maiden flight later this year. Have, does that mean that you've gotten the BE-4 rockets from Blue Origin? Uh, engines, I mean? Almost. <laughs> Almost, Morgan. The two... <laughs> Flight engines are in their factory right now being assembled, and, you know, we're there with them every day, so we know, you know, where it is and how it's going, and I expect to get those about the middle of the year after they've been fully built and tested, and we'll put them on the back end of the rocket and head down to Cape Canaveral. So in terms of the Amazon deal specifically, can you give us any sort of sense on pricing for the up to 38 launches? 
Well, I can give you a rough idea because Amazon isn't releasing any of the details of the commercial deal. But we're going to start first by launching nine missions on Atlas for them, and those are already sold. And then we'll move on to the 38 Vulcan missions, and it is our most capable version of the Vulcan. So equivalent to the Delta IV three-core heavy rocket. And I have said in the past that Vulcan is about a third the cost of that. And then beyond that, I can't zero it in any closer, unfortunately. Not yet, because that's all still proprietary. How does it speak to the flight manifest that is manifesting for Vulcan? Well, we have already sold 35, actually more than 35 missions. So with this order, that now takes us up to over 70, which is really unheard of. It's just unprecedented in the launch market to even sell 30 of them before you fly the first one, let alone 70. And the launch rate this brings us to will be 20 to 25 per year total, which is basically doubling our launch rate. We'll be flying every two weeks, so that's pretty exciting. Wow, that is quite a cadence. Um, and of course, time is of the essence and perhaps in focus even more now. You mentioned the Atlas V, uh, which is powered by Russian rocket engines. We've seen everything that's taking place in Ukraine right now. The fact that Russia has halted sales and services uh, of those engines, plus the quagmire of sanctions that the U.S. and Western allies have implemented. How is all of that affecting you, L.A.? Well, it actually is not affecting us directly. You know, we started Vulcan in order to both meet the new requirements that were coming, but also to be able to retire the RD-180. And although I obviously could not foresee the invasion of the Ukraine, it has been clear to me for a number of years that the relationship between Russia and our country was non, not on a good trajectory. And so when I had the opportunity to accelerate delivery of the RD-180s, I did that, and I have all the engines I need to fly out Atlas in a warehouse in Alabama. I've had them there since last year. So we're going to be able to move right through that, fly out Atlas, and then transition gracefully to Vulcan. Mm. I think folks in the space industry have known that there's been this partnership between the U.S. and Russia post-Cold War uh, for quite a number of years. But it's perhaps shined a light on the fact that this partnership even exists to a, a larger um, audience or to, to Main Street America, if you will. I mean, I guess just give us a little bit of historical context on it. Yeah, absolutely. This is something we were asked to do uh, over two decades back when, you know, the Cold War was ending, the Berlin Wall came down, and there was a lot of concern in the U.S. about what would happen to the Russian rocket scientists and what would happen to their industrial output. And there was fear that those scientists or even these engines would end up someplace like North Korea or Iran. And so the government asked us if we would not look for opportunities to bring that technology onto Atlas in order to stabilize that. That's how it started. And through successive administrations, we've continued to have that relationship. But back in 2014, when Russia invaded the Crimea, it became clear to Congress that that era had passed and they no longer wanted to be dependent upon Russia for our primary national security space launch vehicle. And so at that time, the decision was made to figure out a way to get off of that. That's when I came to ULA and that's when I started Vulcan. 
and a new domestic rocket engine, the Blue Origin BE-4, that will power that first stage. And so now here we are at the culmination of that journey. We are about to fly Vulcan, as I said this year. We'll retire out Atlas. And, you know, fortunately, I accelerated delivery of those RD-180s, so we'll be able to do this the right way. I mean, it, it, the geopolitical landscape and how much it shifted certainly speaks to this notion of space as a warfighting domain and the need to secure space, something you and I have spoken about in the past. How do you see that evolving now, especially as we do start to see defense spending, for example, putting more money towards this domain? Yeah, well, you know, space is absolutely critical to our ability to keep the peace and, God forbid, if necessary, defend ourselves or our allies around the world. We are uniquely advantaged by and in some ways uniquely dependent upon it, and that has not escaped the attention of Russia and China, and especially China is fielding and testing anti-satellite weapons both in space and on the ground at a pretty high rate. So that does absolutely change that posture, and it means that we have to do new things in space to counter that and to deter them from taking that aggression into space. So what are some of the new things that need to happen? Well, first off, we need to recognize that that environment is evolving quickly. We've just finished here in the U.S. procuring for national security space rockets from SpaceX in ULA. Vulcan will be one of those rockets that mm -hmm. was able to save money, bring competition, meet the requirements we have today, the next big procurement needs to incorporate new requirements to cope with this evolving threat. And those are largely going to be about things that we do in space, which means from a launch capability perspective, it's really about the upper stage. We need to have evolved, advanced upper stages that can contend with these maneuvering on-orbit threats that China is fielding now. And, Morgan, I'm going to give you a little bit of a different perspective on all of that because there's a lot of talk about how fast China is moving, especially here at the you know, National Space Symposium. That is the topic of the day. But I am hard-pressed to think of a single capability that they are fielding, including the hypersonic threat down here on Earth, that I did not personally work on for the U.S. 15 or 20 years ago. And we set those things down because we had, you know, a global war on terror to prosecute. And at that time, China picked them up, and they have been working on them for two decades, investing treasure, time, and effort to get where they are today. And so that seems a little daunting to folks that, you know, gosh, you know, that's a big time hurdle to overcome. But I'll say that it's also an opportunity. What looks like rapid fielding is really something that is 20 years in the making. We need to apply our American innovation and new technologies in order to leapfrog that and render those old ideas irrelevant and reset that clock back and show them that aggression in space will not yield any fruitful results. It's such a key conversation. Um, we did just get that fiscal 2023 budget proposal from the Biden administration. ULA is a defense contractor. Space is poised to be a beneficiary. I guess, how do you see the trajectory of that spending unfolding uh, for not only the industry, but also for ULA itself as we do have this conversation? 
Well, we're going to see an increased launch cadence from the United States as satellites are being built that are more resilient to threats in space and more capable for the things that we need to do there. So not just looking at the Earth, you know, to bring tyrants and, and despicable acts into the light of day as we are seeing around the world today, unfortunately, but also to see what is going around us in space because those assets themselves are increasingly becoming under threat. That means that we'll be launching more spacecraft. There's going to be something we call orbital diversity, where for the last 20 or 30 years, certain missions are done in certain orbits, and they're very segregated. We're going to start mixing that up a little bit and making the, the job of the attacker much more complicated by putting different payloads that can be taking off, taken off of the higher energy orbit spacecraft and putting them in different places. That means more launches, more technology development in the satellite world, but also more demands on us, the access to space people, in terms of what we do in space and on orbit. And right now that procurement is really focused on that, but I'll say again that we really need the government also to be looking ahead, looking forward to the requirements that we're going to need in just a few years so we can get out in front of them and to not just try and catch up to China, but to get in front of them, as I said, and make them waste that 20 years of investment they have put in place to put weapons in space by making those weapons useless. That does it for this episode of Manifest Space. Make sure you never miss a launch by searching Manifest Space wherever you get your podcasts and by following the Squawk on the Street podcast. For more on the space race, be sure to watch Squawk on the Street on CNBC. I'm Morgan Brennan. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.